Hi there, this is Pastor Ronnie Allen here at Omega Church. I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want to say thank you for joining us. We hope this message equips you to follow God's voice. We believe that if you're searching, today your search is over. Thanks for being with us and enjoy. We are in the room. Glory to God. Shout another praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. One word from God changes things. How many of you received at least one word already? Changes all of, is what the kingdom of God is all about. Walking in the kingdom is about change. Now God doesn't change at all. We understand that. He is just who he's always been. But that means you and me are in a metamorphosis process where we are being changed by the power of God, by the presence of God, and we are in his presence right now. Hallelujah. Is change on your agenda? Or are you just content to stay as you are? Glory to God. God didn't do what he's done. Jesus didn't pay the price that he paid to leave us like we've been. We're hungry people. You understand what I mean by that, right? Hungry people. Not, not for natural food. Of course, that happens. Don't start thinking about lunch already. But we're hungry for God to do big things in our life. That's what this kind of song flips a switch in me to, to really ignite. We want breakthroughs. We want something to shift. That's really what that talks about. We want the power of God in our life. Yes. We don't want to be anemic. We don't want to be fear-filled. We don't want to be full of anxieties. And we've all had to deal with these kinds of things. But look, God has given us answers in Jesus. Yes. Jesus has paid that price so that we don't have to live as we were or even content with as we are, but that we are geared up, ready for breakthrough. Yes. In the name of Jesus. So look, this isn't about the hype. It is exciting, I must say. But it's not a hype moment. It's a reality check. And when you check in with reality and realize that Jesus is the ultimate reality, it just ignites something on the inside. And a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times it comes out with a shout. What it ignites comes out with a shout. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now look, there's all different ways the Holy Spirit moves. You know, there's been those times that it was just all very, very still and very calm and very quiet. God moves in a variety of ways. There's depths that he moves in. But right now, uh, there's a shout in the house. Glory to God. So somebody always says, you know, I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm just not feeling it. And all these guys are feeling it. Well, you know, you don't have to feel it to have it. Faith doesn't always feel it. In fact, in fact you faith it before you feel it. Faith it, whatever that means. I think you get it. 
You take it by faith, just like Pastor said. You take it before you feel it. And then when the feelings do come, if they come, they don't have to come. But when they do, or if they do, it sure feels good to feel good. Glory to God. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? All right, we're preaching now. Sit down. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's dynamite to be back. Glory to God. It's hot outside. But we're in Texas. But it's hotter on the inside. Hot for God. You know what that's all about. Thank you, Jesus. There's an anointing in the house today. There always is when we gather together, but sometimes we feel that presence in a different way, and sometimes we respond in a different way than at other times. You know, not everybody feels all the same things. You don't, like I said, you don't have to feel it to have it. You don't have to feel it to know it. You don't have to feel healed to know that you are healed. You don't have to feel happy to know the joy of the Lord is your strength. But something happens when we embrace it by faith. Feelings will follow. Ultimately, they may not follow in the next five minutes, but they do follow because results come. Glory to God. And God is totally results-oriented. But it takes faith for things to change, so it takes faith for those results to come about. Thank you, Jesus. That's why it's dynamite and it is vital to connect with a place that teaches you how to stand in faith on the authority of God's Word and know that God's Word is His bond, that if He said it, it is reliable, it's something you can count on and something you can expect to have come to pass. And if His Word is not coming to pass in your life, then you got to check with how you're connecting with this. And that's a vital aspect. Are we really embracing by faith what God has said? Or is it out of a fear and just a wish that it would happen? There's a difference. Faith responds with a, an authority because God said it. I know I can expect it to come to pass. I have a hope because faith is alive in me. I don't have to feel it to have it, but we have it and it produces results. Glory to God. Ooh, I like being in a faith church. Hallelujah. My wife, Vicki, and I, we cut our teeth on this kind of stuff back in the early 70s, just like your pastor has. We gave our lives to the Lord in 1971. I've shared some of it here. Somebody reminded me they'd just gone to see the Jesus Revolution movie or saw it not long ago, and I've had people tell me they were looking for me in the crowd. <laughs> they knew a little of my story, you know, and one of those long-haired, druggy-type stoners running the beaches of Southern California and gave my life to Jesus, and Vicki gave her life to Jesus. We didn't know each other when we first got saved, but we met at church. And came to find out within just weeks of coming to know the Lord that, that faith changes things. And that our faith in God 
is not just faith that he exists, but it literally is a substance that is on the inside of us, born by the new birth on the inside of us, a substance that is designed by God to bring God results into our life. That you come to know Jesus and faith is born on the inside of you. It takes faith to come to know Jesus, but when you exercise that faith in what the Bible says about Jesus being Lord and I received him by faith, something ignites on the inside. There is an infusion. It's called the new birth. And with that new birth comes all of the ingredients that are primary and required in order to experience everything that God has designed for you to have. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Ooh. I could go down that track, man. This place is hot. I got other things on my mind that I'm headed to, but uh, may take a little while to get there. Now, I know how it goes in church. People come for an allotted amount of time. Is that, is that how you came today? I just got the word. You take the time you need. Well, I'm not going to keep you long. On the course of eternity. No, I've heard some very powerful messages given in 20 minutes time. That may not happen today. I believe it'll be a powerful word, just not happen in 20 minutes. Anyway, you don't care about that. You know, like I do, that we're in really volatile times when you look on the scope of what's going on globally, even domestically, even locally. There are a variety of strategies that really come to grab our attention and distract us, us from the realities of who God has said we are and what he has infused within us in order to see happen. You know, God's got plans. You know he does. He's, he's the ultimate planner. And he's planned the beginning from the end, which means he has planned your days, your life, and he's planned it to be the best that life can have. Amen. Great plans. Well, yes. we've got to tap into the plans and we've got to stay the course to have those plans come about. Just because God plans something doesn't guarantee it's going to happen for somebody. People are shocked to come to that reality. Some people are. Some people are surprised to hear that God is not in control. Now, he's in control of his deal. Fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to get his way. But he's not necessarily in control of your deal. All you have to do is drive down any highway, I mean, even like here locally, and watch how other people drive their cars. That's all you have to do to get this reality. Because people drive in a way that you look at it and you know God is not in control of the way that car is being driven. And I trust you're not one of those kind. 
But then you come to recognize that if God isn't controlling how people drive their cars, which he's not, he doesn't control how you drive yours. You can drive like a fool if you choose to. I didn't just call you a fool. I just <laughs> pointed out you could be one. If he's not in control of how people drive their automobiles, there's a lot of things he's not in control of. He's not in control of the decisions they make. And this is really the answer as to why good people even have bad things happen. Why is it? And some people are, are stumped by the idea and really paralyzed in their faith because somebody that they've admired as a Christian, somebody that is a very strong believer and loves the Lord and goes to church and has for decades or whatever their history is. And yet here's this wonderful superstar Christian and yet they have some terrible disastrous things happen. But sadly, good people many times don't make good decisions or don't stand in a good place or don't exercise faith in God's word in a manner that God would work with them to bring about the best. And they find themselves in real troubled situations. Now, I don't say this to load any kind of condemnation on somebody because here's the deal. We've all made decisions that just didn't turn out well. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on that and give an amen or anything. I know it's true of you just like it is of me. <laughs> You know, I've made decisions just didn't come out all that well. They, were, they weren't mistakes when I made them. At least when I made them, I didn't plan on it being a mistake. But then you come to realize that really was not a great decision. And Satan will take advantage of those kind of moments. We do have an enemy. There is a war going on. There's trouble in the world and... Even among Christians, there are troubled times. And so much of that comes back to things that they've decided or not decided to live by. And it has brought them havoc and trouble and tribulation on a personal level. I want to read a statement Jesus made where he addresses something that will get us over into where we're going. But it's over this time of tribulation and trouble. This statement from John 16 in verse 33 comes really right at the end of Jesus' entire teaching ministry. In fact, he's with his disciples now and, and he has been summarizing over the previous three chapters, summarizing things that he has taught and bringing to a conclusion things that he came to reveal. You realize Jesus came as a revelation of the Father God. He didn't come to reveal himself. He came to reveal the Father. And everything that he did, the miracles, the teachings, the parables, the examples, the authority that he demonstrated, it was all done as a revelation of his heavenly Father. He said, I do nothing of myself. I only do what I see my Father do. Or he also said, I don't do anything but what I hear my Father say it. That's important to realize because that is going to be a factor in how you function. Because if that's how Jesus operated, 
as a man, as a newborn Christian believer, we have access to God to function in the same way that we do what we hear our Father say, and we get the kind of results. This is amazing. Now listen close. We get the kind of results that Jesus got. Woo! That's a big statement. Anyway, I've opened up so many cans already, I can't close it all. But I've got to take a track that God really had on me for some time and, and focus me on today. So here's the statement that Jesus makes right at the end of his ministry and teaching time, just really minutes probably before he was going to be arrested. He said this in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Everybody say peace. This is what Jesus said it was all about, yes. that you would have peace. Peace is not anemic. Peace is not just being relaxed. This is in the Greek, of course, peace, but it means the same thing as it would in, uh, in the Hebrew text. Well, I don't want to go down that road. These things... I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Everybody say, in the world. In the world. So here's what we understand. We are in the world, but we also understand we're not of the world. And this is really what Jesus is pointing out and saying it in a different way at this point. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation or pressure. You'll have trouble. We've all proven that to be true. But be of good cheer. Amen. Or some translations would say, be courageous. Right. I have overcome the world. Amen. Glory to God. That reminder is worth showing up for church all by itself. He said, I have overcome the world. This is before he had paid the price on the cross even. I have overcome the world. You know, he, he dealt with conflict every day of his life on this planet. We don't have all the various uh, events that took place. We have a few of them listed in Scripture. But man, he was threatened. He was under pressure. Satan was after him all the days of his life. But particularly something happened when Jesus was baptized in water and the voice of God the Father came right out of heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember that in scripture? It was at that moment that things shifted in a huge way. The Holy Spirit, scripture says, descended upon Jesus like a dove. He came out of that setting in a different manner than he had gone into that baptism. Something had shifted drastically. And one of the things that shifted was that all of the attention of hell's strategies against mankind now focused on one man, Jesus. This all started in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when the father spoke to the serpent and said, there is one coming who is going to crush 
your head. And from that moment forward, Satan was looking for who that one would be. Anybody that began to be used by God became the target of pressure and strategies to destroy or discredit or, or kill or undermine in one way or another their effectiveness because Satan didn't know who that one was and he was looking. But on that day of that baptism in water, the mystery was over. Satan knew who that one was. All of heaven knew. Now all of hell knew. And the earth was to find out who that one was that had come to crush Satan's head. Jesus. From that moment forward, every kind of strategy came against Jesus. Started with all those temptations that took place just shortly after that event with John. I talked about that, I believe, last time I was here. Some of you remember. Anybody remember that? Okay, not one hand. <laughs> but it'll come. You'll get it back. Now Jesus has made an announcement to his disciples. And he said, I have overcome the world. Think of the context of the time frame that he made that statement in. This would have been the darkest time of his entire ministry. He's about to be executed in just a few hours, really. At the very point when he is uttering those words, a mob is being gathered together. Judas has already betrayed the Lord. The religious leaders, along with Roman soldiers, are gathering to come find Jesus, whom they would find in just a few minutes after Jesus made this statement. And what were they coming to do? You know what it is. They were coming to arrest him, take him into courts, and have him executed, destroy him. This was Satan's plan. And it was all seeming to culminate and come together in the darkest way, darkness was having its day, it seemed. It didn't look like Jesus had overcome anything if you were to look at all the facts. The disciples, when they heard this, they didn't know what was about to take place. They didn't really get it yet. They couldn't have. Jesus knew exactly what was happening at this point, And yet he said, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome all of these things that are gathering against me right now. I've already overcome it. That's amazing. What a pattern that is for us to understand how authority and how victory really is maintained. You don't have to feel the victory to have the victory. Amen. You don't even have to see it on the outside to be able to see it on the inside. Ultimately, what we see on the inside is going to filter its way into what we see on the outside. That's what faith really is all about. Taking what's in us
and shifting the narratives around us so that what God has deposited deep within us is having its impact in our head, in our body, in our money, in our families, in our society. This is what the war is all about. The war against the church and the body of Christ is about shutting all of this that we're talking about right now completely down. And you and me have to make the decision, which I believe you've already made, but we have to maintain the decision that we're not going to be swayed by the days that we live in. We are of the one who has come to change the day. So let me say this to you in light of these things. Circumstances in your life may certainly have been difficult for you, but they are not powerful enough to define you. Your history may have marked you, but it is not authorized to label you. What has gone on in our life all of us have a story. We all have the hardships. We all have some desperate things that have happened. We all have had experiences that nobody knows anything about, really, how it's played out for us personally. And for far too many people, that history that has played out that has been so troubling and so traumatizing or so abusive or so difficult, those troubles continue to define people in the present and create a future. And we have to make the determinations and find out from Scripture how God defines us and how to disconnect from what we've allowed to continue to define us that contradicts God's point of view. Are you catching this? Jesus said this in, in the prayer that he prayed just following that statement that we read from John 17 now. I'm going to read just this one phrase from this prayer that Jesus prayed. You know, that whole chapter is a prayer Jesus prayed for all of his disciples. And not just those who were disciples with him at the moment, but all who would become disciples because of those men's testimony, which includes us and every believer, every person that Jesus prayed for as a disciple is now a prayer that he's prayed for you personally. And he says this in verse 15 and 16 in the message translation. It reads this way. He said, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. Now, there's another part to this I want you to catch, but I want you to let that soak in. Jesus prayed for you that you would be guarded, protected, that there would be a hedge around your life, that there would be something around you that is like a force field. I'm a real... Star Wars guy. Don't hold that against me. Is there any mercy in the house here today? And I don't divulge that to very many people until it's now on streaming internet. 
But if you're a Star Wars person at all, or a Trekkie even, we have some Trekkies here. Do we have any Trekkies? Live long and prosper. We learned about force fields. I went a long way for that one little thought. What Satan described regarding Job as a hedge of protection. That's amazing. God had a hedge of protection around Job and Satan didn't like it. Well, of course he didn't like it. And he doesn't like it about you either. There's a hedge of protection that God has designed to surround you. Now, in Job's case, as in many people's case, they have found a way to break the hedge down. And Satan gains access into a person's life because they have not stayed the course to keep that hedge of protection that God has provided. Thank God for Psalm 91. But then listen to this statement that Jesus makes in the next verse, still in the message translation. Praying for his disciples and describing them this way, he said, they are no more defined by the world then I am defined by the world. We know Jesus wasn't defined by the world. He overcame it. He overwhelmed it. He wasn't influenced by it. He wasn't afraid of it. When they tried to push him off a cliff after his first sermon, you know, I mean, my first sermon wasn't all that great, but uh, his would have been amazing. But I didn't make them so mad they wanted to kill me. They may have gone to sleep on me, but they didn't try to kill me. But what Jesus do when they did try to kill him on that occasion? He just turned and walked right through the midst of them. He wasn't defined by the fears of what Satan's kingdom was pressing him to experience. You know he had to deal with disease personally. We don't have any record that he ever had a sick day. You know he didn't. This is the word of God in the flesh, man. He dominated. He was the body of Christ. This is the body of the anointing. Amen. The one and only body of Christ at that time. But that very terminology being now a part of who we are should describe to us that the same anointing and the same faculties that made him who he was because of his relationship to the Father, that's how he lived. All of that is now embodied in us also. Glory to God. We are the body of the anointing. Woo! Gosh, that fires me up. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 in the message also reiterates the same concept. He said, from now on, he's talking about those that are in the body of Christ in this, this church in Colossae. He said, from now on, everyone is defined by Christ, everyone is included in Christ. That's how God sees you and me. That is the definition that he has for us. The anointed ones. You may have been hurt and scarred in your life. It may have taken you years to work to undo what has been done, but it does not have the power to shape the total identity of who God has made you to become. Amen. What that means in essence really is you are no longer defined 
by your past. You are not defined by your behaviors. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by your feelings. You're not defined by your circumstances and you're sure not defined by the current ideologies of the identity dysphoria that is going on all over this society. We're not defined by who society tries to say we are. We are defined by Christ. We're not just defined by race. We're not, surely not defined by religion. We're not defined by the color of our skin. We're defined by who we are in Christ. That is our message. That is our mantra. That is our reality. And that has to remain real for us. The confusion comes with all of the pressure for diversity. And the more that we emphasize diversity rather than unity, we are missing the very point of who we are in Christ. We understand that we are all different parts and pieces and the Bible is very clear that there are a variety of parts to the body of Christ. I did a message one time about the assembly, that everybody in the assembly is a part or a piece of the total picture and uh, used a bicycle as an example that I, Vic and I bought for our daughter Jessica. We went to the store, one of those stores where you pick out what you want and then you bring a little tag up to the front and then you buy what you saw. You go around back of this big warehouse type place to pick up your bicycle and they don't roll it out to you. They hand it to you in a box. No, no, I didn't buy a box, man. I bought a bicycle. Yeah, 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 it's inside. But then there's those dreaded words for guys like me. Some assembly required. Print right on the box. Big letters. Give me a break. Parts and pieces. It's, it's a bicycle, but you can't ride it. You got to work for it. Oh, I didn't know if that Christmas was going to turn out right or not. I had to use my faith. I did. I prayed. I sought God. I needed help. Oh, Jesus. Here's all the parts and pieces. Lord Jesus. And all the little pictures, you know, to tell you what goes where and all this. It takes a magnifying glass to figure out what they're talking about. Just to wrap that story up, it did get put together and it did work just fine. There were a few parts and pieces left over. I never figured out where they belonged. I saved them just in case they were important. Never did use them. Anyway. As part of the body of Christ, we do have to find our place as a part. We're in the box, but you do have to find your, that's a whole different message. So we understand every part has its place. There's differences, definitely. But the diversity message is all about dividing us up rather than bringing us together. We've got to resist that. We have to take authority over it in our own head, in our own mind, or else we'll justify being separated and justify those differences being unacceptable because it's not like me. 
All right, that's another message. I, I get it. So you're not defined by your experiences. You're not defined by culture. Not in the kingdom, you're not. You're defined by who God says you are. By being in Christ. We are one body. The body of Christ. We are in him and he is in us. That's the message of the kingdom, isn't it? That's how we have to understand the function. Hallelujah. I've got more than I can unpack here today. But I'm just getting started, so. All right, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I just mentioned that to give you a slight break. Break's over. You're defined by who God says you are. God says you've been made his righteousness. He declares that you've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. These are defining concepts. That we're not the sick. Even when we're facing diseases and sickness in our body, we are the healed. And Satan's doing everything possible to destroy that and strip that away from us. But we're not having it. We are the healed. God sees us that way. We are the free. We are liberated. We are wise. We have the mind of Christ. He sees us, God sees us accessing all of his gifts and all of his wisdoms and all of his, his nature so that who he is is reflected in who we are. That's what Jesus did. He was the perfect reflection of the Father. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we reflect those nature aspects of who God is. This isn't casual Christianity, man. This is, this is growing up in Jesus, man. This is who we've been designed to be. There's so many tricks that Satan tries to use against us. I may have shared this when I was here last, but it came up in my spirit again today and... Uh, it's just a very powerful, powerful concept. Let me jump into it uh, by reading something from the Word here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5. For, we, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. Strongholds. Strongholds in our lives are not spiritual entities. Strongholds are, are mindsets, things that have been built into our thinking patterns and in the way we perceive things. They're like the lens that comes over our thought processes that twists or perverts everything according to whatever that stronghold in our own life was built to generate. My wife had an experience that has just turned into a great example of this for both of us. A number of years ago, maybe five years ago, a friend of, of Vicki's had taken up painting herself and, and had, was 
uh, artistic and enjoying painting as a hobby. And, and uh, she encouraged Vicki one day. She said, Vicki, you know, I know about your mom's history and your, one of your sisters, very artistic, and they painted various things. Uh, and, and there was talent in various siblings. And this friend said to Vicki, surely you've got some talent why don't you take up painting and, and just explore that or however she said it. And something popped out of Vicki's mouth that surprised her when she said it. She said, no. She said, my mother told me when I was 13 years old that I had no talent and that I needed to study to be a secretary and that I would be uh, able to have a career as a secretary. And so uh, that's just the way it's been. And then she said this. She said, but that's a stronghold I'm killing today. Something, had, something came alive in her the moment she let those words. She had never said that before. She hadn't thought that in 50 years. What her mother had said to her all those years ago, that she had no talent. She just accepted it and just saw herself as not being creative, not being able to do any kind of artistic kind of side to things, but it, it would all be administrative, which she turned into an amazing administrative person. But everything focused in that way. She didn't allow herself to even consider. And that's what happened when this friend mentioned it. She wouldn't even consider it at first until she heard herself say it and saw that it was a limit that she had allowed to be imposed on her life that had created a border a definition, that's how you define a piece of property, isn't it? You, or get borders around it. You define it by latitude, longitude. It creates borders. And that is what contains that property. And we allow words, we've allowed wrong thoughts, we've allowed a lie from the devil even to tell us things about ourselves that have turned into strongholds that limit us and have created borders to contain us. And Jesus has come and this scripture tells us that we can tear down these strongholds. Yes. That we have the weapons of the kingdom to tear down these strongholds, these mindsets, these concepts that are contrary to God and contrary to God's uh, definition of who we are and contrary to God's plan for us. We can tear those things down with the words of our mouth, with our faith, and with the meditation on God's words. The weapons of our war are not carnal, but they are mighty. They're powerful. They're not of the flesh, but they are of the spirit. They're not just of your mind. Tearing down a stronghold in your mind is not merely a mental exercise. It is a spiritual exercise where you use the authority that you've been given in Jesus to declare that certain things that have been limiters are not going to limit my life any longer. I'm not going to live by fear. I'm not going to live by the PTSD that has governed so many things in my life. I'm not going to live by traumas or by abuses or by trying to protect myself in one way or another. I'm not going to live allowing those things to control and put limiters on my life. We learn how to identify and let the Spirit of God help us identify those things. 
Well, Vicki did this when it came to painting. And she started a process. She found teachers. Of course, there was work involved in buying a lot of paint and, and, uh, and getting frustrated over things not working and finding teachers and input. And, and now five years later, she's awesome. She's awesome. That's what they say. She started painting and she found a couple of different teachers with different styles and, and one of them did uh, and taught her knife painting, which is a real heavy texture kind of painting and uh, not real detail-oriented like portrait painting would be, which Vicki has also become quite skilled at. But uh, anyway, her very first little painting knife painting. She was so excited about it. This was a few years ago now, and she was so excited that she had done this. You know, she had just never done anything like this because she would not allow herself to go down that track. And now she's killing the stronghold, and she had done this little flower, and it was this knife painting flower and, and impressionist kind of style and that type of thing. And, and uh, so she had posted it on Facebook. Yes, we do use Facebook at times. And you know how friends and people that you don't even know that are friends, that's, that's a concept that's kind of foreign <laughs> till now. They'd like it or they'd make some comments. She got a variety of comments. And it was, you know, it just feeds you. It just validates something for you. And, and, and it was doing all that for Vicki. And, and then came this one comment. You know, I think this painting is beautiful. Would it be for sale? Vicky, Vicky's jaw dropped. She looked at me and says, somebody actually wants to buy this thing. <laughs> and she just began to shout and thank God and then answered the person and said, well, everything's got a price. <laughs> <laughs> and they ended up buying this little painting. And that has become, even though that was not Vicky's goal at all, uh, it has become uh, an amazing validation that she has people wanting to buy her paintings frequently now, even though she hadn't really solicited people to try to buy, get them to, to buy stuff. It was like, uh, if they want it, yeah, everything's got a price. <laughs> and what the devil had used to limit her she now has not only conquered, but the devil's paying for it. Amen. Glory to God. And it's, it's ongoing, and it's, it's just mushroomed into something that's turned into something amazing. And the reason I say all of that is not to try to make you a painter uh, at all, but it is the idea that there are strongholds in people's lives I've had them, you've had them, you may have some now that God wants to see you tear down, but you can't pretend that everything's all right. You have to let the Holy Spirit help you identify it, and then you have to do what he said here, treat it like something that you're going to war against. You go to war over this thing, and you just declare that in Jesus' name, this stronghold comes down. It's contrary to God. 
It's limiting. We're not going to live like that anymore. Does that make sense to you? Along this line, there's a couple of parables that I want to point out to you that Jesus gave us that help us understand God's point of view about this idea that we're talking about. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, where Jesus said, Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field, and upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so that he could have that treasure. You remember this parable, right? Jesus said that's a revelation of the kingdom and how the kingdom functions and operates. He goes on and he says in verse 45, Heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. You remember that, right? Here's what I want you to catch from these two parables. Jesus is revealing how the kingdom functions or let me say it this way, a mindset that the Father has regarding you. You are the treasure. That God was willing to pay any price in order to obtain. You are the pearl. That the Father was ready to pay any price in order to possess. And the price was great. We understand that now. They didn't understand entirely at that point. But Jesus said that's how the kingdom system is designed. That God has a mindset and he is ready to pay the price in order to obtain it. So here's where this takes us. You realize that value of anything, value of a car, value of a house, value of a piece of land... Value is determined not by what somebody thinks it's worth, but it is determined actually by the price that is paid to possess it. That's how it goes for buying or selling a car or any other item. It's determined by what somebody's ready to give up and pay in order to buy. That's how you de determine real value. Correct? Isn't that right? Well, with that in mind, and you recognize the price that was paid for you, it should shift and should create in every one of us a realization of the value that God sees in every single individual. Your value to Him is revealed in the price that was paid for you to have access to him and for him to have access to you. It was the price of the life of Jesus. He paid that price. He paid it willingly. He paid it in order to have you experience the very best of who God is and for God to have you in his family. That's the price. 
That's the value. That is so powerful. It changes things for us. It really changes our view in some ways even of the cross itself. And it turns it away from being a weeping moment. Oh, Jesus, you paid such a price for me. I feel, yeah, we feel bad in ourselves because he paid that price. And yet that's really not what the cross revelation is all about. It's all about the joy, and this is what Hebrews says, the joy that was set before Jesus empowered him to endure the cross. And what was that joy all about? It was about this. It was about the price being paid so that the treasure, the pearl, could come into the possession or into the family or into the house of Almighty God. What a message. Glory to God. Does that mean something to you? Let me read what Peter says about this concept in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, still from the Passion Translation. He said, but you are God's chosen treasure. There it is. There's the terminology even again. You are the treasure. Say it out loud. I am the treasure. I am the treasure. Now look, that doesn't puff us up. That's a very humbling concept. So it's not about us getting egotistical or feeling whatever some people would feel with wrongly using that terminology. No, it's that we understand that in ourselves, we don't deserve it. But grace is all about giving us, or mercy is all about giving us what we don't deserve. That's what grace does. You don't deserve it, but he gives it anyway. Glory to God. So he said, you are a chosen treasure, priests and kings, a spiritual nation set apart uh, as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. Said out loud, I belong to him now. I belong to him now. Glory to God. That's the identity that we have. That defines us. I belong to the family. I have his name. I have his DNA. I am who he says I am. I'm a product of his blood sacrifice and his word being in action on my behalf. That defines me. No room for the pity parties of how bad you've had it. Look, we understand there's people that have had horrific lives, but now in Christ, that no longer defines them. In Jesus, we have a whole new identity. The identity crisis is over. We understand who we are because we are in Christ. And every time some of that old mindset comes back up, some of that pity party or some of that fear sets in or some of that post-traumatic stress syndrome stuff starts to, starts to stick up its ugly head, you have a position and a place to stand and know how to use your authority. None of those things matter any longer. They are not who I am. I am in Christ. 
That old anxiety doesn't have root in me. I don't allow it to place any longer because I'm in Christ. You don't have to feel it to know you have it. You take the truth and you shift the feelings. One of the great examples and one of my favorite guys in Scripture, and you get a lot of them as you keep reading the Bible and keep meditating on things, but one of my favorite real heroes actually is a man named Gideon. I talk about him often because there's so many relatable ideas that go along with Gideon, but to understand the power. Can you take a little bit more or are you done? All right, I was going to go on anyway. I just thought I'd give you an option there. Gideon came along a, a good while after the conquering ministry and conquering days of Joshua. Joshua led Israel out of the wilderness. You remember how that went. He was Moses' assistant, and Moses died without going into the land of promise and stayed in the wilderness. And Israel was still in the wilderness, having come out of Egypt a long time before, decades before. And now Joshua has risen up and he's come on the scene and he leads Israel into the land of promise and defeated 31 kings and 31 kingdoms in order to possess the land that God had said belonged to Israel. Faith was big in Israel in those days because Joshua took hold of it and was courageous. That's what God said it was going to take. It's going to take courage. It's going to take the word being in your mouth day and night, meditating on it. And Joshua did that. But at the death of Joshua, towards the end of the book of Joshua, you find that Israel lost its way again. They let go of the things that they had discovered in walking with Joshua's leadership, and they began to lose the ground that had been gained. And the enemies of God's people began to encroach again into this land and dominate and terrorize Israel with the same goal in mind they had always had, and that was to annihilate Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth. You know, that spirit is still with us these days. It's not going to work. Didn't work then, doesn't work now. But by the time you get into the days of Gideon, Israel has been years now outside of the, the protective hedge that God had for them. And now they were coming under the terrorizing domination of the Midianites, one of the various ites, and even Amorites were involved. There was a lot of ites in those days, including parasites. <laughs> They were all over the place, you know, but the Midianites were the main guys, it seems. And by the time you get to Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, Israel is now not living in cities and towns like they had been and what they had conquered. They were living in caves, hiding from the Midianites. And that's where you find Gideon in those days. And an angel of God shows up to this man Gideon when he had come out of his cave and gone down to a wine press out in the open where he was threshing out some wheat, just enough for his own family to be able to survive in these dark days that they were living in. 
Now, I have never threshed wheat personally. I don't know. Maybe you have. Have you any wheat threshers here? All right. God bless you. <laughs> here on the front row. So I've got to start. Is that true? You've threshed wheat? Only once. Only once. All right. Well, you're the expert in the house, apparently. <laughs> Well, you correct me if I'm wrong, but just do it with a hand motion. No big fanfare, please. But the idea of threshing the wheat is to break the chaff off and let the grain drop that you can use. And the chaff ideally would be in a windy spot where you, it would blow away instead of falling among the grain. Do you get that? But a wine press is not ideal for that to happen. A wine press is going to be an enclosed spot the, it's going to break the wind. It's not going to have uh, the freedom or the, uh, the flow of air to move the chaff away, but it was going to be a hiding place where Gideon would not be seen by the Midianites while he was working. And that was what fear had done. It had paralyzed not just Gideon, but all of Israel from these, these strategies of their enemy to destroy him. So you get that. It's in that context that you find an angel of God shows up and says some things to Gideon. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the Tiberneth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Aborite, while his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So that's the setting. So now verse 12 says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's a shocking statement just from the appearance of things. The Lord is with you. And Gideon didn't buy into it really immediately at all. The Lord is with you. He pushed back on these words from an angel of the Lord. I don't know about you. If an angel of the Lord starts talking to me, I'm probably going to pay real good attention and buy into just about anything he comes up with. Gideon pushed back and he said, how is the Lord with us? How is it that the Lord has allowed all these things to happen? I mean, he just argues with this angel. Later, he would even push back and say to the angel of the Lord, what do you mean uh, the Lord is with us? you mighty man of valor. He said, I am in the, a weak tribe in Israel. My family is the weakest family in the whole tribe, and I am the least in my whole family. I mean, that is how he identified. He identified as the weakest of the weakest of the weak. A nobody. The angel of God, of God replied differently, though. After Gideon pushed back in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, and that's how it says it, the Lord, not just the angel of the Lord. Now the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? It's as if Gideon had said nothing. He hadn't argued at all. He hadn't pushed back. It's as if Gideon's voice had uttered no words whatsoever. Gideon, you mighty man of valor, go in the might that you have. It's as if it is a single statement. 
because God had not changed his point of view just because Gideon wasn't feeling it. He stayed the course and Gideon bought into it finally. It's a fascinating, fabulous story of the victory that came and the shift that came and the restoration that came to all of Israel because Gideon laid hold on this statement and became what God said he was when it didn't look like it and he wasn't feeling it. That's a picture of us, isn't it? You don't have to feel it to have it. You don't have to feel victorious to be victorious. You don't have to feel courageous to be courageous. But you do have to step out in that courage that you're not feeling. And you do that by faith. You lay hold on it. You take it because God said it. Not because I feel it. Not because I understand it all. Not because I know what it's going to look like in the next steps that I take. But I'm taking it by faith now and I'm saying what God says. I am who God says I am. I'm defined by who he says I am. That's what Gideon did. He was being defined by God as a mighty man or mighty warrior, mighty person of valor, courage, all the words that Gideon didn't seem to personify at all. But ultimately, that's exactly how we remember Gideon. He's in, he's in the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. A man of faith. He didn't start out looking like a man of faith at all. But his story resulted in faith because he let God define him. And that's what you and I are doing right now. In the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me because God is redefining people in this audience right this minute. And God is reminding you of who you actually are in Christ. Hallelujah. There are strongholds in this house. Not in the house. There are strongholds in people in this audience and people that are watching this streaming. Strongholds that have corrupted the truth of who you actually are. Some of you can identify those strongholds and know what they are. Others, the Holy Spirit's going to give you light and insight to begin to recognize what the stronghold has been. Strongholds, I've, I've already said it, are like a lens that can come over the way you see things. One day I saw on an album cover a particular band that I thought was so cool back in my stoner days. <laughs> the Birds. Some of you have no idea who the Birds actually are. Any, any bird, bird folks? How many of you have never heard of this band, The Birds? You've never heard of them. That is like so sad. Don't get me singing. I love this band and, and others of that era. Anyway, you don't care. 
But uh, they came out with an album cover that one of the guys was wearing these funky looking glasses. They were red lens glasses. I thought this was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I need, I need red lens glasses. So I went down to the head shop in Hermosa Beach. <laughs> Sorry. And I found some red lens glasses. I was so excited. I put those on and I was sure I was the coolest looking person <laughs> in the whole of, uh, of Hermosa Beach. I was surely deceived. I would have been the only person that thought that. But the unintended consequence is that with those red lens glasses on, everything turned red. <laughs> that wasn't my goal here. I just wanted to look cool. <laughs> but the sky was red. The street was red. All the people were red. Some were dark red. Some were light red. But everybody's red. And everything else was red because I had this lens over my eyes. And that's what a stronghold does. It changes the perception of everything so that it is going to be influenced by what that stronghold dictates. But today, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to have access to realms and places in our soul, in our mind, in our memory, in our way of thinking, in our habits, to access those deep recesses of your soul that have been troubling that PTSD. I've had this come up in me all day today about PTSD and there's somebody, maybe more than one, but somebody that has suffered with this in the house or in this meeting and the anointing of the Holy Spirit has come to do something supernatural so that that thing is coming down and no longer a part of the limiter of your life in the name of Jesus. So I want every person, every person to lift a hand before God because the strongholds are coming down. Said out loud, the strongholds are coming down. The walls of the enemy are coming down. Strongholds of my soul are coming down by the authority of the name of Jesus. Strongholds of fear. Limiters in my life. No longer have access to my mind. In the name of Jesus, this is a time of deliverance. And by the authority of Jesus' name, I release the power of God for the shift to take place. Starting right now, in Jesus' name, stronghold, you come down. Fear you depart. PTSD. You come down. You'll not have access to me. I'll not live with limiters. I declare it in Jesus' name. This is my time. And I declare that freedom rules and reigns. I'm defined by Christ. I am part of the body of Christ. That anointing defines me. Defines me. I'm, healed. I'm healed. I'm right. I'm, right. I'm, righteous. I'm righteous. I'm free. I'm, free. I'm, made, whole. I'm made whole. I'm prosperous. I'm prosperous. What, I what I set my hands to, 
succeeds in Jesus' name. My family is free. Restoration is in my house. The restoration of all things prevails in Jesus' name. Amen. So be it. Hallelujah. We declare it to be so. Let the shout rise up in Jesus' name. It is the shout of deliverance that is in the house today. This is how breakthroughs happen. It, something goes off on the inside. Reality, truth comes alive. It's called revelation knowledge, isn't it? Revelation comes alive and something shifts. Some of you have had that happen here just in the last few moments. And I'm here to declare to you that this is a brand new day for you. I want you to let this sink in throughout today. Don't get yourself so busy today you can't process and go through what's just happened in the last few minutes. This is more than a message. This is a moment in time that the Holy Spirit is solidifying some things that have been messages to you. What the angel said to Gideon was not merely a message. It was a reality that was designed to bring a shift, and it did. And I believe that's what this moment is designed to do. But here's the key to this really being, being accomplished in your own soul. You have to make a decision that this is real for you right now. And you'll follow up with it. You'll follow through with it. Where it's not just something you heard that made you feel better, but it's something that shifted in your soul. Does that make sense to you? Decision releases power. And it keeps you in a place of receiving what this power is designed to fulfill. Every word from God has the power within itself to bring itself to pass as long as your faith stays locked into what that word has defined. And his word has defined who you are. And it's releasing power in your own soul right now in Jesus' name. Lift your hands once again. Go ahead and thank God for it. Worship the Lord and receive it in Jesus' name. Glory be to God. We receive, Lord, we receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you receive? I know you do. Glory to the name of the Lord. Before I'm seated and get off the platform, I'll remind you, though, that we brought some materials that can help your spiritual development. They're out on the table in the lobby, a variety of things. There's a book that uh, is one of the premier things we've ever published. It's a book that my wife Vicki has written entitled Help. It's dangerous out here. And it's a book about divine protection and God surrounding your life and bringing His intervention into things that are going on. And it's one chapter after another of various divine interventions that clearly could not have happened any other way, but that God got involved. And story after story, event after event in Vicki's life and some in others and myself, but just not only stories, but 
real revelation teaching as to how you can access these things, this, this divine protection in your own life. And if there's ever a time we needed real revelation about divine protection, it is now. So take advantage of that. There's also a book that I've written entitled The Satisfied Life. And in this book, I talk about how to redefine your life. Not satisfied in the sense that we would lay back and everything's going to be all right. That would, that's not the concept that Psalm 91, 16 really refers to when he said that he would satisfy our life. And that's where I really take the premise of this book from that passage. But I talk about various aspects of how you can redefine your life. So those books are available. Lots of other things available. Our daily devotional continues to be a tool that we'd love to send to you. If you'll leave an email address where you'd like it to show up, Vicki sends out a devotional every day. It just takes a couple of minutes to read through. It's packed and full of power. And we'd love to get you going with receiving that yourself. So take advantage of these things and let it be a help to you. Amen. You glad you came today? I'm glad you did too, and I'm glad I'm back. Pastor, thanks so much. God bless you. Glory to God. God's good. You know what, David, hand me my notebook there, will you? You may be seated just a moment, because we're going to give you an opportunity to invest in Dennis Burke Ministries. Something that Dennis had said that reminded me of this particular. You know, those rose-colored glasses made everything look red? Something I wrote, this in fact, this is, I don't remember, it was this month. I don't know if it was Pastor Zona teaching. I, I don't remember when it was, but I wrote it down, and I want to give it to you right now. Poverty seeks enough to be secure. That, that mindset, do you understand? It seeks enough to be secure. And I'm coming from a standpoint in my own life where I was hoeing in a garden only because I didn't want to have a garden, but I must have a garden. Do you understand the difference? I'm working. Zona's working. So and so I'm out here hoeing the garden. At that time, we only had two children. I'm out there working the garden. After working, roofing all day long. I'm coming out there working in the garden, and I'm praying. Really, what I called praying, but God says called murmuring. I was, I was fussing at him. And the rest of you, if you've never went through that process, then you haven't spent very much time praying. So I, I, after about 15, 20 minutes, I've wore myself out because I'm using the hoe. I'm griping to God, calling it prayer. And you know, when you're griping like that, God doesn't say anything. He just lets you keep griping. Then when I got quiet, didn't say anymore. 
Holy Spirit said something that was peculiar. In fact, it was very shocking. He said, Ronnie, the trouble with you is you're stingy. And in response to God, I threw down my hoe. And I said, you mean to tell me that I am selfish to want enough for my four, my family? And there was only four of us at the time. And he said, exactly. And I, I, that, that upset me. He said, that's all you have asked me for. Poverty seeks enough to be secure. That's what most people are chasing. Pay close attention here. Poverty seeks enough to be secure. The rich... Seeks to be liberal. They seek liberty. That's what they seek. Freedom. Liberty. And we're applying it to finances, sure. But this is a principle. This is a truth. Rich people, prosperous people, seek liberty. Okay? Now, listen carefully. Liberty is more important than security. You want to know why our country's in the condition it is? We want, we want our government to help us to be secure. And God says you should want your government to keep you free. Follow me? Listen carefully. Liberty is more important than security. In fact, your liberty is your security. Now we're going to apply this to finances. During this time in my life when God was teaching me this stuff, Zona and I went to a fellowship meeting at another church. When I talk about fellowship meeting, most people have no idea what I'm talking about. But this is a church service in which every preacher that's going to show up is going to say something. You understand? So all the preachers, it was a must, or they'd embarrass you and make you come out of the congregation and set up on the platform. Before it's over with, you're going to hear from every one of them. The offering had come and gone, and they were taking up the offering for uh, building, because they was going to build this church or finish it up, whatever. I can't remember the whole details to that. It was a building fund anyway. They was going to do it debt-free. Offering came and gone. I'm the next one up that he's going to call on. Through the whole offering, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, I want you to pledge $1,000. Now, you've got to understand when this was. This is in late 70s. 
He says, I want you and your wife to pledge a thousand dollars. And I kind of ignored him. You know, kind of like Gideon at first. We didn't have a thousand dollars. And I said, and I thought I really had God. I said, you're going to have to talk to Zona. Well, Zona's sitting in the congregation. I'm on the platform. We can't communicate. Offerings come and gone. The Holy Spirit made it so hot in here. He said, the first thing you're going to do when you get up there, if you want, it, you want, you want me to say something through you, or you want to get up there on your own? you want to get up, if you want to, if you want me to say something through you, the first thing you're going to do is repent publicly. And you're going to pledge that thousand dollars. Now I'm caught between a rock and a I thought I had him with Zona. God knows how to peg you and I'm glad he does. So the first thing I did when I got up there, I said, I know the offerings come and go. But I said, the Holy Spirit has been dealing with me. God's been dealing with me pledge a thousand dollars and as soon as I said that I looked straight out Zona was right in front of me about halfway through you know the middle section I looked straight out there and Zona smiled real big and started shaking her head like this now what I didn't know until later God had told her the same thing and she is saying the same thing to God you're gonna have to deal with Ronnie I had, listen, look, look at me. I had that rose-colored glasses. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I had that rose-colored glasses. Everything I saw was red. Or I can't do it. God always wants you to do, he'll always tell you to do something that you can't do without him. Always. Are you following what I'm saying now? You say, well, I know he's getting ready to move in. I'm trying to tell you, you're worried about security. And you ought to be concerned about focusing on the liberty of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is trying to move you right into your real security, which is liberty. The freedom to obey God. Instead of letting your circumstances dictate to you your obedience. Right after we did that, within six months, we had that whole thing paid off. I couldn't take it. I thought, dear God, I can't. We're strapped. Once I made that pledge, in six months, I had it paid off. Right after that, right after that, God gave us a new car, a new car, the same year. You understand? I'm not talking about a new used car, a new car, and a house was being built within that same year. Now, I'm not saying that it's not the car and it's not the house. Forget that. What I'm saying is God wants to move you into liberty. Your security is not in the economics. 
of a manipulated financial system. It's in your obedience to what God's telling you to do. God's not trying to take from you. He's wanting to give to you. Are you following that? Your real security, your financial security is in your liberty. Now, I'm going to make a bold statement right here, and I know what time it is, and we're taking up this offering, but I want to, this is a teaching moment that I want you to grasp. Social security is security. And it's unsecure. And we have been lied to. Are you following what I'm saying? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I collect my Social Security checks because I paid into it. But it has not determined my liberty. If it was taken away tomorrow, I am still going to prosper. That's what I want you to see. That's what I want you to see. I want you right now to let the Holy Spirit lead you. We sang a song around here. In fact, we, we, we almost sang it today. Spirit, lead me. If you say no, I won't do it. If you say go, I'm going. I'm jumping in if you say do this. The Holy Spirit's going to talk to you. If you are serious about receiving a miracle then you have to take the steps of faith that God tells you to take. I'm going to encourage you today as the Holy Spirit talks to you to obey Him. When you do, you will see God unfold His miraculous hand on your behalf. Now, it's no longer me trying to give you the information. I just gave you the information. It's time for you to decide. Are you going to obey God with your liberty? Or are you going to let your circumstance be your security? Glory to God. It's now time to do it. Everybody say do it. Okay, glory to God. You need an envelope, there should be one right in front of you. If not, these ushers around here will make sure that you get one. If you want to give that way, if you're going to give through uh, the uh, Internet, online, you can do that as well. I want you to designate it to Dennis Burke Ministries. Okay? I want you to get ready. I want you to be quick. And God loves a prompt to do it. Prompt to do it. Glory to God. Prompt to do it. Glory to God. So, I know you're getting ready. We're going to bring it down here. Richard, where you at? Richard, where'd you go? There you are, Richard. Get him back up here. Y'all sang this a while ago. You was all excited a while ago. 
Get back up here and let's sing it. I ain't leaving till God does what he's going to do. Glory to God. We're going to sing this song. As we sing this song, I want you to just, hey, there ain't no sin. You might as well get happy about obeying God. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Getting hot in here. Aren't you glad you stayed in the room? Glory to God. Breakthrough is here right now. Did you tear, tear off the roof? Did you? I hope you got that. Tear off the roof. Tear it off. Got you in front of Jesus. And your breakthrough is here. And you took it. Amen. Glory to God. Now, fathers, we get ready to leave. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, or even viewing by live stream, we thank you, Father God, right now that you drew them here by your Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the gospel has been preached. Lord, I thank you right now that they open up their hearts and they confess your lordship. They say out loud with their mouth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, today I make you Lord of my life. If you'll confess that before men, Jesus said, I'll confess your name before the Father. Glory to God. The way you do that you go to someone in the lobby or you email us you're viewing by live stream say today I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life if you'll do that Jesus said I'll confess your name before the Father and say they belong to you Ronnie Allen belongs to you today <laughs> amen call you by name no generality Glory to God. If you'll do that, we're going to follow through and give you some information that you can take the next steps in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we leave this place, we thank you, Lord, that every person that needs healing right now, we speak healing. We speak it in the name of Jesus. We receive it by faith. Now, Lord, we thank you that your grace would surround us like a shield, follow us wherever we go. We thank you, Lord. We hear your voice and the voice of another we will not follow. Lord, you've given us your angels to ch charge over us, to watch over our families, our properties, and our goods. And you've given us your name to use, which we invoke. We declare, say this with me out loud, I declare... In the name of Jesus, there'll be no tragedy named among any of us. Now, Father, fill us so full of your love that as we go into our everyday lives and every person we come in contact with, let your love ooze out of us and give witness to the gospel. We give you the praise and the thanksgiving for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to find five people as you're dismissing 
Get ready to go to the book table. I want you to tell them, give them five, give five people a high five and say, I'm glad I stayed in the room. Thank you for joining us today. I'd like to say thank you for all those who give and support this ministry. I pray that you've been blessed and challenged by the podcast today. For more information on how to give, you can visit omegachurch.com forward slash give. Thank you for believing in our mission.